0: I'd like to begin by asking a question. Do you believe that God can do anything and everything? Or are there some things that God can't do? Now, I think most of us were raised to believe that God can do anything. But I don't think that's the case. I think there are some things that God cannot do. I'm not talking about his inability related to power, We believe that God created the heavens and the earth by the very word of his mouth. He just spoke things into existence. And so nothing is too difficult for God in that sense. But there are other things he cannot do. For example, in Titus 1, 2, we read, God cannot lie. And I'm glad about that. I'm glad that it it says he cannot lie, not that he just won't lie. It's, it's against his nature. It's, it's against his character. God is incapable of lying, which is very encouraging for me. And there are other things God can't do. He can't do anything that's contrary to who he is, his very nature. And so we read in 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Again, God can't do anything that's contrary, and so even if we're unfaithful, it doesn't mean God will be because God is, well, God is faithful, and if he weren't faithful in some situation, then he would be denying himself, and so it would be contrary to the way he is. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, this idea is very important to the subject I want to look at here this morning. We're going to be talking today about God's forgiveness But I'd like to suggest that because of the way God is, the nature of God, had He not provided for us a Savior who would die in our place and for our sin, be buried and raised again from the dead, if God, according to His nature, had not provided that solution to the problem of our sinfulness, then God would have been unable to save us. That might surprise you, but I don't think there was any other solution that's consistent with his nature, as we'll see in a minute here. He can do nothing that's not consistent with his nature. I would argue, by the way, that if there were any other solution to the problem of our sinfulness, God would have gone that route. Because we would all have to agree that this idea of Jesus coming into the world, taking on flesh and blood, the Son of God, God the Son... And going to a cross and being crucified and dealt with the way he was, buried and raised again, that's a pretty radical idea. If there were any other solution out there, I think God would have chosen it. But I'm going one step further and saying, but if that solution had not been available, Jesus in the cross, then the way God is would have prevented him from just granting forgiveness to all of us because, as we'll see in a minute, God is holy. Now, every religion out there addresses, I think, anyway, the problem of sin. And, and this is what we're talking about here when we talk about a relationship with God. Every religion has to ask the question, what do you do with evil? What do you, what do, you do with, with people that, that sin? And how does a person who sins get right with God? And, and we believe from a Christian perspective that if you don't have your sin dealt with, if it's not removed from you when you die, you won't go to heaven. And that's our perspective. But most religions have a perspective that the way you get right with God is by doing certain good things or going through certain hoops or or whatever else. And as we'll see in a minute here, the starting point for for our faith is that there's nothing you can do. The holiness of God would have prevented a solution that we could earn this in any sense, as we'll see in a minute. And this is why Jesus said in John fourteen six, which I quoted a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when Jesus said this, he meant it. As hard as it is to hear it, he said, no one can come to God except if you do it through me. Because of this entire plan that God came up with, if you don't come through me, There's no way you're ever going to enter into a relationship with God. And again, the Apostle Paul said the same thing in Acts 4.12. There's salvation, he said, which is deliverance from the penalty of your sin or to be rescued from our sinfulness. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Again, Paul meant it we've got to find our deliverance through that name, through Jesus and Jesus alone. But why is that the case? Well, it comes back to the way God is, the very nature of God and the solution he came up with. Two attributes of God in particular speak to the subject of forgiveness. Both of them come into play when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. I think more than any other of God's attributes. Those two attributes are that God is holy and God is Love, and it was the intersection of these two attributes, the holiness of God and the love of God, where God came up with this solution as we continue this series this morning called Unusual God. It was a a very, very unusual solution that was born out of who God is and his nature. But I want to talk about these two aspects of God. First of all, that God is holy and what difference that makes in terms of us getting right with him scholar by the name of Dr. Elwell in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines or explains holiness this way. He says, the root idea of holiness is to be separate or set apart because of his inherent holiness, God is distinct from everything impure or unholy. God alone is holy, his name is holy, and he bears the name the Holy One. Now, there are a lot of ideas that are wrapped up in this idea of being holy or completely set apart from all evil or all wrong. And three come to my mind. Whenever I think of the holiness of God, I think of three additional qualities or attributes that God has that help me understand what it means to say God is holy. First one is that God is righteous. When we say God is righteous, we mean he's right. The second is that God is sinless himself or pure and third he is just he's a just judge starting with the fact that God is righteous when we say God is righteous we mean that he has standards of right and wrong there are certain things regardless of what our culture would say there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong and God is the one that determines which is which but God, if you read the Bible, you'll find throughout the pages of the Bible that God has laid out certain commands. And, and when I think of the righteousness of God, the list that comes to my mind is the Ten Commandments, ten, ten rules about, about how to relate to God and other people, and do this and don't do that. And, and all that speaks to the fact that God is holy. He's righteous. Second, though, God is sinless or Pure. Not only did God come up with the standards of right and wrong, but he has never violated those standards himself. God has never done something that was wrong, and he's never avoided doing the right thing. He always does the right thing, always avoids what's wrong. That's part of what it means to be holy. But third, this third aspect of the holiness of God is that he's just. And this begins to put together this picture that doesn't look good for us because you have a situation where God comes up with, do this, don't do that. All these rules in the Old Testament law, there were 603 of them. All these rules and regulations that they had to follow. And so you've got all these rules, and then you've got a God that's done everything right. He's never sinned in any ways, pure, completely holy, set apart from, it, from sin. But he also has to be a judge. It means he can't overlook sin. It means he can't ignore it. Which is what we'd like to happen. Like, please just pretend I didn't do that. It means he can't sweep our sin under the carpet. And every time I think of this, I think of when I was a bachelor here living in Morgantown and I I lived with a couple of roommates. I had my own bedroom and occasionally I'd decide to clean the bedroom. It wasn't real often. But in my bedroom, uh, I had an area rug that was under the bed and it covered most of the floor. There was probably two feet edge all around or maybe three feet edge all around. And what I would do is I would dust everything first. I'd take off the sheets and the bedding and all because I was going to wash those at the same time. I would dust everything. Then I'd take out a broom and I would sweep the edge of this carpeting. And then the thought would occur to me at a certain point that there's so much dirt under the carpet that I could probably just kind of stick it under there. See this carpet had a problem. Uh, it was old, it was thin, but the the um the glue underneath the carpet had dried and 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 it would kind of be turning the powder underneath and so if I lifted it up, i 'd see kind of dust. It was just dry glue and so the thought would occur to me if I swept the the room that, that I'd get rid of, you know, some of the dust. I could throw the most of it away maybe in a basket, but all the leftover, just sweep it underneath. But every time I thought that, I, I, I just, I couldn't do it. it. It's just against my character, my nature. I, I, I could not get myself to sweep it under the carpet. So what did I do? I removed the entire rug I took it outside, I shook it out, I vacuumed it the best I could. And then before I put it back, I actually ended up sweeping the whole room. I mopped the whole room. And then I'd take that rug that had been cleaned, and I'd put it back down, and then I'd put the bed down, then I'd make the bed, and then I'd stand there and I'd look at it, and it it was so clean. It's a nice feeling, it really is. Everything clean like that is so... We think that, that maybe God can just sweep our sins under the carpet or pretend they don't exist, but the very holiness of God, the fact he has standards of right and wrong, the fact that he is holy and set apart and has followed everything completely, he is also a judge who's just. Part of the holiness of God is that he has to deal with sin. He has to execute judgment for sin. And, and every good judge would do this if you think about it for just a little bit. Imagine for a moment a judge who said, it doesn't matter what you did, you're all forgiven. You know, you're all fine. A judge who, regardless of whatever you did, it wouldn't matter what it is. If you stood before this judge, he would say, well, you're, you're guilty, but that's fine. You can go on your way. How would you feel about that judge? I've occasionally read stories of judges that released somebody that had done something atrocious. And I get angry. Frankly, I get angry at it. I think that's just not right. It's not good. A judge that would just let everybody go and let someone who's committed this horrible thing just go, I'd say, you're not a good judge. Not even a good person would do that because we all, I think, have this sense of, we all have a sense of right and wrong within us. We violate it all the time, unlike God, but we have this sense of right and wrong. And and, and although, of course, for ourselves, we we want mercy, we also, I think deep down, all recognize that the justice is also, there's something refreshing about just justice being served is just right. Now, if the holiness of God were his only attribute, and therefore he was just righteous and pure and just we'd be in trouble as people. If that were his only attribute, we'd be in trouble. He would execute judgment on us, and that'd be the end of the story. But God had another attribute that, that intersects here, encounters here maybe, the idea that God is love. Now, I talked about this last week. God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. It's his very essence. Everything he does, even when he judges, is done out of an, a, a position of love. He is love. And it was this about God that caused him to come up with a solution to our problem, a brilliant solution to our problem. My takeaway is this, that God's holiness and love met at the cross, making forgiveness of sin possible. The cross is a a beautiful intersection of these two things, a brilliant solution. What if someone who had never sinned, never done anything wrong, were able, from a legal perspective, to, pe- to take upon himself all, all of our sin, everything we've ever done wrong. You know, whatever was put in the police report against us goes against this person over here who's never done anything wrong. And what if that person was allowed to take the penalty for us well, in a case like that, then justice would be served. It'd be the loving, a loving thing, but justice would be served. Holiness would be upheld. And this is exactly what happened. God sent his own son to take upon himself every sin in the world. He had never sinned himself, did nothing wrong. It's why the incarnation was so essential. He was God. Living a sinless life, so he could take upon himself the legally again. Legally, every sin you ever committed was charged against Jesus. And then God, in his holiness, poured out all of his wrath against Jesus. I don't know what all's involved with that, but it took him three days to come out of the grave. The justice of God was poured out against his own son. Now, if you've been attending here any length of time at all, you know that the way in which we receive this forgiveness, where, where what was charged against Jesus counts toward us is through faith. It's making Jesus Christ the object of your trust. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their trust in him, will not perish. They'll not face the wrath of God in judgment, but instead will have eternal life. I want us to understand, though, that this is not something we can earn. This is a solution that was totally, totally and wholly outside of ourselves. You can't fix it. I can't fix it. And that's where most people, I think, get this thing wrong. Most people think, well, I'm I'm capable of fixing my own spiritual problem here, you know, that if I'm like, like a good person, of course, God will let me into heaven. We ignore all the bad. Or most people think that if, um, if you're good in the end outweighs the bad, then you know even if you're just one point ahead, you get to go to heaven. But if you miss that line, you go to hell. That, most people think thoughts along these lines, like somehow we're capable of earning favor with God. If we think that, the problem is we don't see God properly about how, how holy he actually is, and we also do not see ourselves properly properly we do not realize how sinful we are we're totally incapable of saving ourselves and we sin much more than we think we do we sin sin in our thoughts Jesus said if you look lustfully upon a woman you've committed adultery in your heart with her now you didn't actually commit adultery thinking it is not as bad as doing it some people say well then the thought is just as bad no doing it is worse because another person's involved in everything else. But still, the sin is committed here first. Before someone commits most sins, they've they've sinned in their heart many, many times before they finally did it. And it was a reflection. But we sin in our thoughts. We sin in our words. We sin in our deeds all the time. We just don't understand the debt that's out there against us. When I think of trying to get right with God based on our own efforts, the illustration that comes to my mind is that of if I, if I were brought before a judge in Morgantown because I was riding down, driving down High Street and I was reckless and I, I hit somebody and they died. And so it's a big deal. And so I end up standing before this judge and and imagine that the judge says, you're guilty, of course you're guilty. We all know you're guilty. Uh, There are two solutions to this because justice requires a penalty to be paid. It's one of these two solutions. Either you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. So in a sense, it's a life for a life. Although it's not completely just because it should be a life for life. But let's say one of the options is You're going to be in prison the rest of your life. The other option is they they say, the judge says, uh, the other option is you can give $10 million to the family of the deceased. And I'd hear that and I'd say, oh, if I could just come up with $10 million. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't I uh, give like, I can pay $2,000 a month toward that bill. How about that? That's what it's like. Us trying to think we can get right with God by doing good deeds. You'd never pay it off. You'd never pay off the $2 million. There's no way you can fix this. There's no way I could fix it. But God had a plan. What if someone came along and said, I'll pay pay it in full, some multimillionaire who had the ability and the willingness to sacrifice out of his own wealth to pay the debt that I owed. What if someone came along and said that? Well, then the judge would say, well, justice is served then. You are free to go. That's the story of the cross. The innocent person paying for the guilty so that we could be set free. And this plan of God is, is from Genesis to Revelation. It's it's so clear to me. It, it's um, indicated through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Remember what they used to do. Many of you are familiar with the fact that in the Old Testament they used to sacrifice animals, so they get an animal that was perfect, without any blemishes at all. It was not allowed to have any blemishes. Perfect animal. And you were to bring it to the temple, <clears throat> and you were to put your hands on top of the animal, and you were to acknowledge your sin. Once a year, Day of Atonement, they would do this, but for other sins as well. But they'd come and they'd confess their sin. I have sinned against you, God, in, in whatever ways. And then they, they'd kill the animal. It does, it's not fair. What, what did it do? What did it do? It didn't do anything wrong. It's just innocent there, but... It's the holiness of God. It's the justice of God. You see, God told Adam and Eve back in the garden that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. Death of the body, but also death of the soul. That's, that's the penalty for our sin, and so that's the, that's the wage. That's what's due, and so because we're all sinners, in the Old Testament, they'd bring that animal, and it would die. It would die so the person offering it could live. That's, that's the story. What we don't realize, though, or people don't realize, is that the sacrificing of those animals never was enough because it was only like a shadow. I want to invite my good friend uh, Adam to come out here with a um, cutout of uh, me, and I still don't know when that appeared or why. But anyway, um, why don't we go ahead and turn on the light behind this, uh, this handsome guy behind me. Hebrews 10.1 says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the actual form of those realities, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Let me explain what he's saying. He's saying here, the author of Hebrews, is that the Old Testament law was like a, a shadow. The shadow doesn't have any substance to it. It's not the real thing. The, the, all all those sacrifices, they were just a, a shadow, shadow of something else. We got to get to what the other thing is. And in this case, there's the shadow, there's the reality that's projecting the shadow. But there's the reality, that's the real thing. The shadow is the thing that, that isn't real, it's not effective. Okay, Adam, you can take away my alter ego here. Uh, thank you. Very good job there with that. This is what the cross was about. It was all pointing, of course, to Jesus. You remember when he started his public ministry, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an odd thing to say. But John got it. That's the Lamb of God. That's the real thing. That's not the shadow, the Son of God. This was God's eternal plan. And he did not want us to miss it. So from Genesis to Revelation, it is in bold print. This is how we get right with God, but I'm suggesting it's the only way because if people reject this solution, there's no other solution except to stand yourself before a holy God and and wish the best and hope he does sweep your sins under the carpet, which you won't do. You're going to face the full justice of God. Now, Isaiah, the prophet, spoke clearly about this, and and this is a remarkable chapter, probably the most remarkable in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. And tell me as I read this, if you don't see Jesus all over it, written hundreds of years before he was born, tell me that you don't learn something about what people are like from this and and why God did what he did. Beginning in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace, or that would lead to us being at peace with God, was on him. He took the punishment so we could be at peace with God. And we're healed by his wounds. This is mostly a spiritual healing referred to here. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before her shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Remarkable statement. How on earth could God have been pleased? You know, to crush him severely. Brings great joy to God to crush Jesus severely. How? Because the holiness of God is finally being brought against the sin of the world. Justice is finally being served, but good will come from it. Continuing in verse 11, he says, my righteous servant will justify many. He'll declare many to be righteous, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I give him, it's God the Father speaking here, I give him the many as a portion. You and I are the many. We're given to Christ. He, he, we've been bought with a price. And he will receive the mighty as spoil because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. He was, he was misunderstood. It's a, it was a perfect solution, though. God's holiness and love met at the cross, making forgiveness of sin possible now this is again a different solution than most religions come up with most religions have a a variety of things you do rituals you perform maybe church attendance other things you do hoops you've got to jump through if you do these follow these five pillars whatever it is they all have solutions that focus on what we do to try to get this thing right we start as Christians with the idea there's nothing we can do to get right. We're, we're sinners. We're sheep. We've gone astray. We can't fix it. And even if you started paying your debt today, you'd sin tomorrow and add to it. Our ledgers are full. Now, there's no other solution from my perspective that satisfies The holiness and the love of God, a brilliant solution to the problem, and it's why we better pay attention to the solution. Because as Jesus said, there is salvation in, or Paul said, salvation in no one else, there's no other name. So, what will you do with Jesus? If you're already a believer here in Christ this morning, I want to mention just a few things for you. One is, I like to talk about the gospel a lot because it really clarifies what we believe. But also, it's the heartbeat of everything. Everything as Christians springs from this. This is why so many Christian songs, they just revolve around the cross, and you think, oh, there's another Christian song talking about Jesus dying and rising again. Why the big deal? It's everything comes from this. If you get this, you understand the grace of God. If you get this, you understand the importance of holiness. It impacts so many things. But I hope it strengthens your faith. I hope it motivates you to live for Christ. For Christ died for all that those who live should not live for themselves but for him. You belong to Christ. If we start living for him, and then I encourage you to share Christ with others because people need to know this. If they don't have Jesus Christ, they'll be separated, I believe, from him for all eternity. Some of you are, though, understanding this for the first time, and the step for you is to put your trust or confidence in Jesus to be your Savior. And if you understand what I'm saying here today, you realize you've sinned and you understand, oh, God sent his son to be my savior and he died for me, rose again for me. And you understand the importance of putting your trust in him to be your savior. I encourage you to do that this morning before you leave. In a moment, I'm going to close our service with a prayer. I call it a prayer of invitation because for those of you that would like to put your trust in Jesus Christ, I just want to offer you a prayer that you can pray to God to put your trust in him it's this is something that happens in the heart but it's something we can articulate to god to say i need a savior and i'm reaching out to jesus so i'm going to close with a prayer that i want you to pray in your heart to god but before we do that we're going to sing a song together called on my heart that really summarizes everything i talked about this morning it goes this way some of the words by the power of your blood you have won my innocence in the power of the cross you've forgotten all my sin now on my heart this word is written forgiven forgiven no guilt or shame can hold me because I'm covered by your mercy on my heart this word is written forgiven forgiven by your scar the scars on your feet and hands every trace of guilt is gone and in your freedom here I stand you've renamed me child of God yes in your freedom here I stand you've renamed me child of God